Hey everyone, Zach here with a really quick note before we get started. I just wanted to let you know that tickets are now available to the Author Life Summit taking place September 10th and 11th in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado. This conference is hosted by myself and Jay Thorne, and there are only 50 tickets total available. Yeah, 50. So you're going to want to jump on this now. We have great guest speakers, including Becca Syme, J.D. Barker, Mark Leslie Lefebvre, and so many more. So look for the link down in the show notes to purchase your ticket today, or you can visit theauthorlife.com slash summit 2022. Thanks and enjoy today's episode. This podcast has bad words in it. You have been warned. I'm Zach Bohannon. I make my living telling stories, but I'm also a metalhead, retired drummer, avid gamer, and most importantly, a loving father to an awesome little girl. Join me each week as I sit down with a fellow parent and discuss balancing a creative life with family, careers, hobbies, and all the other things we love. This is the Creator Dad Podcast. Dude, so when we were talking before, I know you said you don't want to do a coloring book, which kind of disappointed me. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I live to disappoint you, Zach. <laughs> I think I think you would make a fantastic coloring book, if I'm honest. Yeah, uh, my art, uh, my art skills are very minimal. They're uh, they're very akin to probably what your kid can do. So um, my kid, yeah, uh, you have kids too easy there. Yeah, <laughs> we my, have daughters that are the same age. One of mine actually has talent, so I didn't want to use mine as an example. And I know that your kid's younger than my youngest, so it's one of those things where it's like my youngest does not have the drawing talent. Like she comes up with some stuff that's like, oh, oh gosh. Um, yes, pat on the head. Definitely want to put this on the. Uh, actually, we're past the point, thankfully, of having to put it on the on the the board with all of the other artwork because uh, thankfully she has realized her talents lay in other directions. Uh, we're yeah see we're definitely not past that at my house like Haley and uh, Haley actually is a decent artist like I'm actually kind of surprised because and I mean that's not me being like dad bias that's yeah yeah. she's actually pretty pretty decent um and uh but yeah I have stuff hanging on my board in here we have the refrigerators covered but you know your your youngest isn't like they're I thought they were around the same age how old is she uh eight she's still a little bit oh yeah so Haley will be eight in July yeah, because the last time we got them together, she's like, oh, Haley is my little sister that I never <laughs> You parents were so selfish. She didn't say the last part, but it was implied. The sister thing, she definitely said. That's okay. It's 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 all good. So, yeah. but uh, you're not doing a coloring book, but uh, I, I saw it. Actually, it's funny. I, I don't know if you know T.W. Piper Brook or not. Um, uh, we run in some of the same circles. I know. I know of tw piper book yeah you, probably mostly yeah we uh i mean i've talked about him a lot because he's like one of my best friends but uh but we we were chatting the other day and he <laughs> he brought he brought up and i had actually seen it a couple days before but um he brought up how you have book 50 of girl <laughs> in the box and he was just like holy crap like he was freaking out he's like how I can't believe that dude's at 50 books in that series and so <laughs> no. like i bring all that up to one like 
I have to get Piper Brooks name in on the show, but also to say, <laughs> uh, dude, congrats. That is, I, I, I saw that it's not coming out until next year. No, but, June. Um, coming out in June, June 2nd. Oh, the, of this year. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's Amazon, you know, I put it, when I set up a pre-order, I set it out a full year from when I'm setting it up. Just Got it. something goes hideously wrong and I have to move it back. You get no penalty for moving it up, but Amazon will whip the snot out of you if you push a book back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So that makes you just haven't changed the date yet, which makes sense because you can do that when you get closer to it. So, well, no, as soon as I upload the final file, I, I usually lock it in. And so it's with my final layer of proofing right now. And so as soon as it comes back in the next few days, I'll probably get it formatted, uploaded and set the actual release date. But that, I also, that'll, that makes a lot more sense the next one at the same time. So it's like, okay, I need to cover for that too. So it's, there's this chain of events that have to happen before I put up the next book. And it's always a pain in the duff. You know, that's not a bad idea. That's not something I've thought about. Like, cause I know in, in, in the video game industry, they'll do that a lot. Like they'll announce stuff. And then like, I know Amazon and stuff will do a pre-order date of like December 31st of that, of the, of this right. year or whatever. Like I've never thought about just putting a pre-order up for a book I know that's going to come out in the next like several months, but just putting it way out, but going ahead and starting to accumulate sales. Right. And for a continuing series, it's a really good idea because um, I can't tell you the number of people who are like, oh yeah, I'm an auto pre-order on your books. Um, like huh. as soon as I get done with this one, because there's a link in the back of the book that you go right to my webpage and it says, you know, that, look, for example, Girl in the Box, Sienna Nealon will return in Ghosts, The Girl in the Box, book 50 pre-order here and you click on it and it takes you to the website where you can go to Amazon, US, UK, whatever, and go right to it and pre-order. So it's like two clicks and they're at the pre-order. And then I just go ahead and bank that, that fan. And, you know, obviously they don't have to do it if they don't want to, but it, you know, it, it locks in that revenue for me. And all I have to do is set up a pre-order um, page a little earlier than I would like, and occasionally write a substandard blurb because I haven't written the book yet, you know? Yeah. I have no problem writing a substandard blurb after 50 books that I write substandard blurbs all the time. Well, what I usually do is because I've, I've done a couple books where I put them up for pre-order a little early, but not like the way you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I'll just put something like details coming soon. This is the oh. seventh book in the Dead South series or something like that. Like, and I think people figure out like, oh, okay, this is just an early pre-order sort of thing. Like he doesn't have a description yet or doesn't want to spoil something or whatever. Yeah, it's spoilers for me, but also laziness because no, it's I'm, definitely I'm, laziness on my yeah. part, and, and also like. But you actually correct it. Like I've literally written pre-order blurbs before that say, "Sienna Nealon returns in the fifty, you know, the thirty-eighth book in her continuing adventure." It's like, and it's literally that one-line blurb. My cover artist has busted me on it before because I've had to send it to her to put on the paperback thing, and she's like, "You are." kind of getting a little half-assed with these blurbs aren't you (laughs) well when you get up that far when you're in the 40s and getting you're about to put out book 50 like at that point i and and this is i i feel like i get lazier with my blurbs the farther the further i get into a series for exactly because i feel like at that and especially in your position if you got if people are buying book 50 you got them man it almost doesn't matter what you put in the blurb I mean, okay, so I should say, I should say this actually, because every time we release, you know, book 48 or 50 or whatever, there's a resurgence of sales of book one that I think come from it popping on the bestseller charts um, and being discoverable that way on Amazon. So I probably 
if I was not so mentally worn down by parenthood and, you know, having written 92, 93 books, whatever it is at this point, I would probably focus more on that. And I really do probably three out of four blurbs put effort into trying and making, trying to make it sound appealing for a new reader who stumbles on it and is like, oh, maybe I'll go back and read book one. But there is also that one in four where I'm just like, you know what, A, it's spoilery, B, writing blurbs is other than editing other people's work, the worst part of this job. <laughs> you spend 50 to 150,000 words writing a book to tell the plot line and then you're expected to distill it down into two paragraphs. Like, no, no, that's, that's I, not my forte. I am not a fan of this because I think everyone should just write their own blurbs. But mm -hmm. have you thought about just hiring somebody to do it? Like hiring oh, that out? I should probably because I hate it so much, but I, no one's going to care about it as much as I do. Yeah. Um, I'd probably have to pay a, like a, I, I guess it probably wouldn't be a fortune. I'm sure I could get someone half decent on Fiverr, but would they care about it as much as I do? Would they care enough to truly half-ass it the way I feel it needs to be half-assed? I, I, <laughs> yeah. I expect more for my $5. But like go, going back to your pre-order thing for a second, I just like, I don't know. I don't know why I've never thought about that because usually when I, so like when I have my, I just last, uh, I guess it'll be a couple weeks as this airs. Like I put out the sixth book in my dead South series. Yeah. And at the end of that, you know, I put in there, the next book is coming soon and put a link to sign up from my mailing list. And then yeah. once the book is out or on pre-order, then I go back and update that file and I'll put the link to the next book. And cause for me, like, I, yeah, I feel like I get most of my mailing list subscribes from that first book where I do put that link and stuff in there, but like, sure. and on the other books, I'm more interested in just getting people to go buy the next one. So, um, but I'm just thinking, I'm like, man, it'd be so much easier if I just went ahead and had a pre like you'd have to get the cover, like you're saying, but um, yeah. that's not that big of a deal. Like if you plan ahead and I'm, I'm usually pretty right. good at that. And I'm just thinking like, man, it'd be way easier just to go ahead and have that ready with, and, and just start accumulating those pre-orders. Now, yes. do, do your readers ever like get through Like, like, uh, like it happened to me, I went to your page and saw February, 2023. Like, does that throw readers off or do you? Oh yeah. I answer that question like once a month on social media, or I did before I kind of fled social media to my, I'm on mighty networks now instead of Facebook really. Yeah. Um, it's, but yes, when I answer questions, that's probably top three questions that I get. Um, like, why, why does it, it's that. And uh, this is, it says it's book 50 of 50. Uh, is this really the last book? It's like, no, I, you know, it's only whatever I've put up for pre-order. So yeah. not that's ending fun. anytime soon, guys. I, yeah, I still I, have ideas and you people keep giving me money and I gotta be honest I mean this is a funny thing about it because I know so and I know you know so many authors who are like they'll have a successful series and they'll get like four five six maybe eight books into it and they just hate it at that point like they yeah. absolutely despise the characters they don't want to go any further and so I've seen author after author in successful series because they're like I'm sick of this um, and I'm sitting here after 50 books and I did some stuff in this last one that I was just jazzed about. Cause like I, I wrote a section that is literally kind of short chapters. It's like a montage almost of my heroine doing really cool stuff. And it's one of those things where it's like, I employed a new technique and I used it in what, the way I think was exactly right. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is fun. This is really cool. And every book 
I mean, every once in a while I'll hit one. I think book 44 was a little bit of a chore at places, but came out eventually the way I wanted it to. 42 was a real struggle. That was one of those ones where it's like, oh, maybe I've made a mistake here. But for the most part, I still really enjoy what I'm doing. And I've slowed the pace. So I'm only going to do like four this year instead of the five or six I had been doing. And so it's giving me more time to really dig in and find the things that I think are fun and exciting about it. And so um, I'm still loving what I'm doing uh, after 50 books. Um, and I could see myself doing it at least another 20 or 25. And that's just the plots I have available. So um, uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, you, you, it's funny, you went the exact direction I was gonna ask you about. Cause like, you know, I was, I was actually thinking about you the other day and a piece of advice you'd given me when, you know, one of our lunches we did and um, where, you know, I, and, and I've had this conversation with other people I've had with Piper Brook actually about like, yeah. um, it could just continue in a series instead of like, so with my dead South series, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be either eight or nine books. I haven't decided mm-hmm. yet, but like I've, I've started to foresee ways where I could continue it yeah. and like potentially with the same characters or other characters and stuff. And so I was thinking, well, that feels like a spinoff thing, but I always come back to where you were like, well, if you can make it that same series and don't make a new book one, which is just basic business stuff. Cause it's way easier to keep people going than it is to like right. get them in, which I think a lot of writers look at that too artistically sometimes. Yes. And they think themselves like, Oh, well I'm, it's a spinoff and, and I'm going to go in the third direction. And, and so like, I, I, everyone will come read it, even if it's book one, but it doesn't work like that. It's not that easy no. to get people over to that. Well, so, no, because no, I mean, a Girl in the Box 50 was originally supposed to be out of the box 40 at this point, because I had Girl in the Box 1 through 10. I ended the series. I had a disclaimer in the back saying, if you want Sienna's continuing adventures, read Limitless out of the box book one, because it was a character transition. That was my artsy side saying, it's just, it's a different series. It's not a spinoff exactly. It's just that was her origin story, the first 10 books. And then this is her expanding and becoming a different person. Da, 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 da. And what I found is like two thirds of my audience did not go along. And I still to this day in my advertising on Facebook, get people that are like, oh, I read this series. I thought it ended at 10 books. Like um, crap. Uh, I would love it if you would come back and read some more of Sienna's continuing adventures if you loved the first series that much. Um, and so, yeah, it's um, some people have success with what you're talking about, though. It's like if, if you have a series that's doing OK and then you create a new book, one that's a new entry point, And it's my intention was to create a new entry point where someone could literally read out of the box one. Yeah. And it would not necessarily matter as much if they read you know, books one through 10 of Girl in the Box. But the truth was so much hinged on the previous that it eventually just made sense. I'm like, forget it. Let's, you know, anchor it back in place. Let's make this book 11. And so I did the rename and everything um, because it just, you know, my artsy side got ahead of my business side, but at the same time, it was mostly about the same character. I like, I, for book 12, book two of Out of the Box, I subbed in her brother as a main character character for that one book and the blowback was so considerable even at that point they're like uh this is a book it's supposed to be a series about sienna and so um i would eventually do like multi-pov characters but always with my heroine at the center of of the story for the most part but um 
that's one of those lessons you learn where it's like, if you can center it on the main character and, and you can find interesting things to do with that character. That is the thing I think a lot of authors struggle with is that they're like, my character's gone through their arc. Like, what do I do with them now? How do I keep from having them constantly learning something each book and looking like an, I don't know how, what psychological disorder you would have where their personality seems so changeable that they can make a massive change to them each book. But the idea would be to have a story arc of like five to 10 books where over the course of that, they make the minute adjustments to experience the change that you would normally see in a story arc. But yeah, yeah. I kind of want to sorry uh, and you're okay no I, I think that would be the a big differentiator for me too would be like if i do this other series i'm thinking about like this it it, I, it probably wouldn't continue with my main character it'd probably be like right. one of the characters who's already in there so that would that's where my because i strongly feel where you do i think if you're doing a series that i talk to i i when i'm coaching authors this is one thing that's come up several times is they'll be like well like, I really want to write about this character in like book four and have them be the main character. And I'm, I stopped them and I'm like, yeah. people are following a character's journey. Like how pissed would you have gotten if you got to book four or five and Harry Potter and all of a sudden it was yeah. about another character? Yeah. You know, like you can't do that. I like Pravati Patel and all, but uh, if this becomes about her, I'm not sure that Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone really uh, applies as the name anymore. Exactly. Like, it, it, and so I think the way that, that you're you're approaching it is probably a really good way where you, you like introduce other POVs, yes, you know, so that you could keep it fresh and you can tell these other bigger stories. But the story is still about your mate, your protagonist, like yes. you know. And I think a lot of people get lost on that, and they don't. I mean, you have to. Every story has to have a protagonist, yes. you know, a, a main character journey. Even something like you know, like Game of Thrones that yeah. has so many POVs. And or uh, you know, um, uh, uh, what's the name of the books now? I can't remember. Ice and fire. Oh, a song of ice. And song fire. of ice and fire. Sorry, because I know people who are readers will get mad. But like, you know, um, and I haven't read all the books. I've, but I, I read the first like two or three and watched the whole show. And like, yeah, that show is about tons of different characters. But at the end of the day, some people might make an argument about this. But that's Jon Snow's story. At the end yeah, of the that's day. fair. I think that's a really fair, easy argument to make. And point. you can make an argument for Daenerys, like because it is ice and fire, but like right. it really is his story at the end of the day. Like it, well, my, it, the way I view it, you know, it was up until the Battle of Winterfell. I know. <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to get into all the little details on that, but yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't think a show has ever ended that disappointing is that one. Oh, th there was a meme that where they talked about have you ever seen a show that has succeeded right out of the gate and become a consuming phenomenon and then ended like a turd that slid off the side of the bowl and landed on your cat? Well, here's what's interesting about that show to me yeah. is that and I think this is very relevant for people who are listening is uh, if you go back and watch you can see a distinct dividing line when those showrunners got to the end of the books. Oh yeah. You can, you, I mean, it, travel it was enabled at that point. It a hundred percent exposed them because it got predictable. It got cliche, which, because, because part of the magic of that series is that, is that Martin goes against all the conventions and tropes and fantasy. I mean, sure. spoiler alert. But you spend like the first several episodes of that show thinking that um, what's his face? I can't remember. Sean Ned Beam's Stark. character. Who? Stomp Ned Stark. Yeah. You think Ned Stark is going to be the hero and then he gets killed. 
Yes. Like, like, so like that is a huge, huge, huge convention that is just he kill right off the bat. It, it goes against. Well, and yeah. And, and then the showrunners, they went straight to all the normal conventions and it became a totally predictable show. And then they, of course, they rushed that last season. That should have been way more episodes and not had the big time jumps and stuff. But yeah, yeah, the fast travel enabling on that really messing <laughs> things up. But I would argue that um, the, the next to last season w- wasn't perhaps as great. There was a sense of momentum that started to build after the novels ended as they were trying to wrap things up and whatnot. But the real mistakes came where they started putting people in plot armor, where it's like, like you said, people could die early on. Ned Stark, almost anyone could die for any reason. And the people who died kind of at the end were essentially like people that they weren't getting a just comeuppance. There wasn't necessarily a story reason for them to die. They wrapped up the battle of Winterfell and episode, what, three of six or seven episodes of that season. Why would you, I mean, the whole story was building to the Night King and the showdown and winter and all that. And instead of like somehow tying that into the final story of uh, King's Landing and who gets the Iron Throne, like you could have grouped that all together and made, I think, a more thrilling, suspenseful, terrorist, effective climax to the series. Instead, it's like they took half the dramatic tension and all of the mythological tension out of the show by ending that after three episodes of the season. Like this was from a storytelling point of view, it is like cutting off both your legs and then attempting to run a marathon with bloody stumps. <laughs> that's um, such a good, that's such a good way to put it. Like, I just don't understand the choices that went into that unless they were just so deficient on sleep by that time because they're busy on planning their Star Wars, whatever. They're planning another show for HBO. I get that they had a lot of offers and whatnot. And so, um, I don't know. I don't subscribe necessarily to the fact that they ran out of books and it exposed them because the truth is the last two books, I think, Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons were had other issues. Um I know they're, you know, criticizing George R. R. Martin is kind of a national pastime at this point. I don't like to pile on the guy necessarily, but um, those books are slow. The pace of them is leaden. And you can feel it a little bit in Game of Thrones, I think season four or so. So, I mean, I don't want to hit the the writers for speeding things up a little bit, but I mean, there had to be a balance there. And they got to the point where it was like, let's get on with our careers and accidentally. That's fair. Yeah, that's that's fair. I like and like I said, I haven't I've only read the first three books and I have heard that fifth one is just like a tr- is hard to get through. I put it down. I read the first yeah. four and I made it through 20% of the fifth and I knew book six was nowhere in sight. This was in 2012, 2013. And I'm like, I'll I'll pick it up again when the next one comes out because it'll be a lot closer to the end at that point. And I'll have forgotten all these characters by then. And I mean even as far as I made it into that book, I'm like, this is not resolving squat. Like as a storyteller, I'm going to need you to, you know, give me something here. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, the, the, some of the main characters that should have died, my opinion only, you know, disclaimer, uh, some of the characters that should have died were surviving and just the way they tied it all up. Just, I mean, it was, uh, yeah. It's, woof. Well, well, coming back around and talk and uh, to what we were talking about before we went off on that awesome little tangent there. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, into the uh, into the burgeoning genre of now a year old of what went wrong with Game of Thrones. I know this is going to be the most like culturally irrelevant podcast ever. <laughs> it's we're talking about this old ass. Well, let's talk about the end of Mash now, but yeah. uh, but no, that's um, longer than the Korean War. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, but no, so like you know, and I think to add some context for people who don't know you, and if you know your ads for your books haven't shown up on their kindles i'd be shocked you come up on my freaking kindle all the damn time i'm just oh really i didn't and you're not i have friends like i I think other people have told me the same thing it's really like you're running amazon ads like crazy but (laughs) i didn't even know i had any on kindle right now my wife handles all the advertising in fairness i haven't seen any in a while but like there was a period there where like you're always coming up yeah you're about to it's it's starting in early may again so fair enough gird your loins but um but i just give people some context i mean you mentioned you're 50 books in and you're you've written you've published like 90 books total at this point and so like i mean you you've been doing this for a while i mean you're one of the one of the early birds in on the on on the kindle so like i'm, I'm saying that because i want people to understand like that you've been doing this for a while and it take it takes a long time to get to this point but um and, and we'll talk about that in a second but i want to go back to what you're saying about you know doing the spinoff and stuff um would you say that like ending that series at book 10 would you call that the biggest mistake you've made i would say so yes because um when i did it it was my artistic side saying oh you know this is going to be so dramatically different from what i've done in the past And, and it really wasn't that different i mean if you didn't know that there was a break in the series there you'd just say oh okay one plot line ended and he introduced some more and immediately launched right into it. It's like the epilogue of book 10 sets up the first four or five, what I call seasons. Cause it really at heart, I view myself as kind of a television writer that's okay. restricted to a uh, words on the page medium. Um, like I'm not, I would not consider myself a great writer, writer, author, whatever. Um, like I'm a good storyteller and I do fair with dialogue. If you like, a certain kind of dialogue but like my version of storytelling is not like if you were like okay write one standalone novel like you're not gonna read my stuff and go and walk away thinking that was the most amazing thing i've ever read like i need a i need a little bit of a running start to unfold something fairly epic that's that's really more my space if that makes sense um have you have you gotten any sort of uh interest in this for adaptation to i i couldn't see movie but like for television i have talked to a few people um nothing i would say is particularly serious and i suspect that the um i don't know how much you pay attention to the stock market but if you saw netflix's valuation this is this uh, week not not me solicit or offering financial advice or anything but my suspicion is that the streaming service market is about to take a real dive as they realize there's not as much money to be made in this as they thought there was. And I'm guessing a lot of content offerings are about to go way down. So my gut is uh, if I hadn't had one made now, it's probably going to be a good long while before any action comes. Cause I think, I think that uh, Hollywood is about to suffer the effects of the streaming business hangover where they once had a ton of cash and they're about to have not so much. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, everything that I've heard 
uh, you know, from talking to JD every week and, uh, you know, J- JD has a film agent and is, is pretty in tune with this stuff. Like, um, yeah. I had, I had to ask him about that. Cause I haven't, I know you're just looking at the stock market and kind of coming up with a, with, um, a theory, I guess, but like, yeah, I mean, this is, me. this is and, me and, looking at it and saying Netflix does not actually make money. Netflix has almost no hope of actually making money anytime soon. Um, and every other streaming service out there is copying Netflix who has first mover advantage and the largest subscriber base. So if Netflix can't make money, these larger, slower, fatter corporations probably will not as well. Maybe someone will figure it out, but I just have my suspicions that there's going to be a bubble bursting. Yes, exactly. Like you see a few of these industries where like a disruptor comes in and totally upends everything. Um, but in reality, their business model, although disruptive does not have much profit behind it and like if you tried to run kindle unlimited on its own for instance i don't think you would make all that much money but because it's attached to the juggernaut that is amazon it can lose money and they're continuing to bring in customers well i maybe i'm missing it but i don't see a similar thing for like disney plus leading to other services i don't see a similar thing for hbo max leading to other services and so um you could argue maybe for apple Apple might have something there, but um, it's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing it, but I don't think their business model is sound. We'll see if I'm right or if I'm horribly wrong. Which no, I, I mean, that, I mean that's a good thing to look at. And I mean, there could it could be a point where it balloons up to the point where it bursts, you know, and that they do slow down. I mean, every indication I have is that they're really not right now, though. And, that, and that all these streaming services are definitely still out looking for content, you know? Yeah. Um, now you specifically said Netflix, Netflix could be looking to pull back in these other companies. It might take them a while to, cause they're all playing catch up anyway, you yes. know? Yes. So, um, but, and it's been cool, like, you know, and, and uh, you know, to see Hugh Howie's finally getting stuff made, which is yeah. awesome. Um, you know, we've had him on writers Inc a couple times on the set of wool, um, nice. like give, giving updates and all that. And then he's getting uh I know Beacon sure. 23, another one of his books is getting made. So uh, where are they filming that, by the way? Which one? The no, the uh, wool. Wool in London. Nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, they're they're filming over in London, and uh, it's from what he said, it's uh, it seems like it's gonna be pretty awesome. And I don't know, I know it's with AMC and Apple Plus, so yeah. I I think there it's gonna be some combination of. Um, hopefully it gets on AMC and because I think Apple plus is still like, I mean, iffy, you know, so hopefully he gets the exposure and it's on AMC, you know, yeah. but, um, it's funny cause, uh, this is how old I am. I used to call myself the crabby old man of indie publishing back in like 2014. So that gives you kind of an idea how long I've been around. I was asking Hugh Howie for advice in 2012, probably. And I'd been around for a year or two by that point. So, yeah, it sounds uh, like, uh, I think Jay has a similar story where he's been, he's been, you know, emailing him and getting advice from him for a, probably about that long, pretty close to that. Yeah. I mean, Hugh was taking off. I think it was in late 2011, early 2012 with wool. And I mean, it was a series of short stories at the time. Um, and they're phenomenal. I mean, if you haven't read them, there are definitely, I've read that entire series and it's really great. Yeah. Fantastic writing, really good stories. But um, he's been around He's been around a minute, as they say. The well, say. it was, I think originally too, it was just going to be the one, the very, mm-hmm. very first episode, because that comes to a pretty distinct ending. And yeah. then pe- people just were like, what happened next? And then he yeah. did an episode two and 
kind of did the serialized thing too, which is uh, in, in a way, which is kind of interesting. Well, he broadened out the world in interesting ways because well, it's uh, such a cool world. Yeah. yeah, it's really it's really interesting how he fleshed it out and expanded it, and, and it just sort of that's a great example of the story being dictated by the world. Yeah, uh, which unfortunately doesn't always happen the way we'd like to see it done. <laughs> so, um, you know, you kind of you kind of started talking about this a minute ago, and I'm just I'm curious, like. Um, Cause, cause you mentioned even like people have trouble with this. I have trouble with this. Like, how do you keep it going? Like, I, I know that, you know, I mean, I, I know that girl on the box has brought you like it's, it's done really well for you financially, but from what you were saying earlier, like, I mean, you still have to be excited to write it and clearly you are. So like, how have you been able to keep that going to 50 books now? So, I mean, the easiest way to describe it is because people are always like, oh, so is this serialized? Is that how you got to so high? No, each book has its own villain. It has its own theme. It has its own conflict that must be resolved. But there's also an overarching conflict that runs for five to 10 books. And so that's why I say I break it into TV seasons because there's that you know, monster of the week and then there's the big bad that, that comes out at the end of the season. Um, that's usually foreshadowed a season or two in advance as I'm kind of building up to it. And so for me, what's, what's kind of made it interesting and easy for me is it's a very simple setup in a lot of ways. Because my heroine is a superhero, um, there's a lot of stuff I can do with that superhero genre that like if I was writing only a thriller series, like a Tom Clancy techno thriller or a, uh, um, a Vince Flynn type techno thriller, I don't think I could take that for 50 books nearly as easily. Um, without treading over the same things, but because it is in the superhero genre, like one one storyline is her origin story, and it deals with you know ancient myth and her place in it, and uh, and defeating this threat that's been around for a thousand years or whatever. And then the next one deals with a you know a, a bunch of angry people who are just looking for revenge after she killed their um, family members. And then another one might deal with uh, you know, a government conspiracy theory for a few books with uh, um, it, it just essentially breaking it down into something where there's a season long theme and something that's really deep that I want to kind of dig into in, in a more in-depth basis, but then also can have, you know, the, the smaller monster of the week storyline that I try to keep um, relevant and that is it sort of fits well into the other uh, the smaller sorry it fits better well into the larger story picture but um but the short answer is i just every month or so i get an idea that just fits in my brain and it's like i should make this the next girl in the box and i just go through and i kind of work the story until i can get it in a shape that i want and um and then I just sort of fit it into that year's storyline or I decided, hey, maybe it doesn't fit there. Maybe it'll fit better in the next year and just kind of go from there. And I, part of it is that whole, I always say that when I get my story ideas, it's from two places. It's from inspiration where it just sort of hits you out of nowhere. And then the other part is excavation where you take the fundamental idea of the story and then you just start digging to like figure out, well, who's the villain? Uh, what's the theme that my um hero is going to learn like what are the ancillary events that spin off from this what are the um linked events of the story that i'm excited about usually there's battle scenes i mean every book there's battle scenes and usually i'm excited to 
you know, figure out how that's going to go because I enjoy writing a good battle scene here and there. Um, but the other side of it too is it has a lot to do with the villains and it has a lot to do with the the things I'm just excited to do with the character, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, some of the process I use for that, when I say I need to figure out who the villain is, I really try hard to dig into the villain as a character of their own, because I think that your story is only as good as your protagonist, but also only as good as your antagonist. Because if you're bringing in your antagonist, they have to bring out something different in your character. They have to present A, a credible threat, or B, and it's actually better if you get both, and or, um, a credible threat, and B, they have to have a legitimate reason for thinking and doing the evil things that they're doing. Because no one thinks that they're evil. So if you're having them do evil stuff to make them the bad guy or girl, then they better have a real good reason for being it. And so some of the fun of it is just digging into them and really asking, like, why are they doing this? Who are they? You know? What happened to them in childhood that left them scarred? Was it in childhood? Maybe it was in adulthood. Uh, you know, what, what is their perspective? And so some of the joy of it is just digging into that and, and allowing myself to see through their eyes and see, do they have a point or are they just bitter beyond all comparison? Um, so that's, that's a lot of the stuff I enjoy about it anyway. Nice. Now, I, I know you mentioned that you, um, you kind of write in this series like in seasons, like so. Uh, on average, like, do you have a how many books usually make up a season, like in your head? Uh, it's funny because for a while it was like five or six, and I think the last one was eight or ten, and this one's probably going to be eight or ten. Okay. So it's gotten more to like for a while it was as many as I could get out in a year, <laughs> and now it's kind of I'll let it go for a couple of years and you know whatever. Nice. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I do a similar thing when I'm writing, you know, like the series I'm right now is, and it's, I've, I've deviated from it a little bit, but you know, my plan was to do nine books. It was essentially going to be three trilogies. So yeah. there were going to be three story arcs, but like one big overarching story arc with my protagonist. So I think that, you know, for people who, cause I talk to a lot of authors who get overwhelmed about writing series and they just don't yeah. really know where to start. I think that that's, if you can break it down and, and have, several you know look at several books back okay, this is gonna be one arc and mm -hmm. then i'm gonna you know that'll have like but like i usually have you know uh, a different villain for each trilogy yeah. you know and 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 story loops that i make sure i close and then i have some that stay open and then i open bigger ones you know so i think that's a really good way to go yeah it's it's funny because when i first started growing box one through ten flows very much one book almost after another. There's some slight seasonal breaks between a few of them, but in general, the storyline is, you know, it's it's tightly linked from this happened, then this happened, then this happened. The events are are reliant on each other, and even the villains, although they're um, somewhat spaced out, I don't know how to describe this without massive spoilers, um, they're <laughs> okay. all somewhat linked to the same major storyline. There's nothing really outside of the main storyline until the last book of book 10. Whereas nowadays, book 50, it's a lot more standalone. Like book 49 uh, kind of picks up six months after book 48. Some stuff went down there. And then, you know, there's an inciting incident in book 49 and the events play out. And then it almost, 
it, it stands alone as a plot, but it's the connective tissue, I guess, is my heroine's personal life. Because what happens in the last scene of book 49 leads right into the first scene of book 50, not as part of the plot of 49, but just this thing that's going on in the background of her life. So I guess that would be the, the, the loose connective tissue. It's not about a huge overarching plot anymore necessarily. It's kind of more about what is going on for her as a person and, and the rather sizable event that happened in her life in, in that book. Nice. Again, avoiding spoilers. You're all good. I, I, I totally get it. So um, I, I love asking people too about kind of their productivity and what their day-to-day looks like. And I'm, I'm curious like what a day looks like for you, but I have to ask, because I always I, I I will talk to authors and I bring this up to them about you. And so are you still I remember at one point you told me you were writing like six thousand words a day on a treadmill desk. Are you still are you still doing that at all? Or I try to. Um, I don't do the treadmill desk first thing in the morning because I'm on the upper floor and the treadmill will wake up my kids and I start at 6 a.m. Yeah. Um, but by the time I get them off to the bus that usually try and get on the treadmill after that. You can tell how serious I'm taking my physical fitness by how much time I spend on the treadmill desk. Uh, I can't really do it while I'm editing and I've been editing for the last three weeks straight. Yeah. So um, I'm having to like pause and go for walks partway through the day. But, uh, but yeah, that's the idea is to probably do 3000 words a day on the uh, treadmill desk. Are you, are you typing or dictating? I type. Um, I guess since you have the desk, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, you would be. Well, and I can, I can uh, write about a thousand words every 20 minutes. Um, And so it make it's not particularly difficult for me. I don't go fast. I'm not going like at a run or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you're still moving. You can't see me on camera viewers, but I am do not have the physique of a runner. Um, <laughs> I, I like thought you were going to tell him you were out like rowing or something while we're no. doing this podcast. <laughs> no, no, I was trying to explain to them since they can't see that I like tacos and donuts way too much and barbecue. I do like barbecue. Yeah. Um, pretty much anything that's bad for you, be it you know Indian food, uh, pad thai, uh, donuts, tacos, um, southern cuisine i mean all of it i will eat all of it happily and so um yeah i had to start scheduling workouts in the middle of the day even on the days when i'm especially on the days when i'm not on the treadmill desk yeah so, um yeah that's a yeah that's was that's, was there yeah, six thousand words is what i go for every day what was what was a uh, was there was there a learning curve to being able to do the treadmill desk and start being able to do that, or did you just kind of come to you naturally? Or I honestly, as you know, gosh, when did I start doing that? Like 2013, I think 2014. Yeah, probably about 2013. So I started it early on. It's not. Oh, um, sorry okay. about that. No, it's all good. Uh, I forgot to hit the do not disturb on my computer for some reason, and uh, yeah. Uh, do not disturb on. There we go. Sorry about that. You're okay. Um, so no, there's not as much of a learning curve as you think. I'm only walking at two miles an hour or yeah. 1.9 somewhere in there. And so it's very sedate. Like it's just real, um, real slow paced. Uh, you know, it's, it's really just, uh, get my behind moving. Um, it's, it's, it's not, super uh, smart, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's tough to get the setup because I think, I mean, I didn't buy a very expensive treadmill at the time and I, I paid for it over time. 
but uh, between that and the desk, it was uh, um, it was a good amount more than I was wanted to spend at the time. Yeah, but it certainly paid dividends in terms of you know burning additional calories that I can spend on donuts. <laughs> you also have the space. Like, I mean, I, I've been in that room you're in, and I mean, you have you have enough room in there for like eight authors to be working at one time. So. But if they did, I would have to kill them all because I can't. You would. <laughs> it's okay. But so like other than the treadmill desk, I mean, what does, I mean, I know you mentioned you get like five or 6,000 words a day in. Um, I mean, what is like, what does kind of an average day look like for you if, if there is such a thing? So I start at six in the morning. Um, I've usually got my cold brew coffee already sitting there ready to go. And if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and this doesn't always work out, the internet is shut off on my computer. Um, and that's how I get things done effectively. And I'll take you just, do you, man, do you just turn it off on, like turn your wife off on the computer? Do you use something like freedom or I've used freedom in the past, but at this point I just shut off the Wi-Fi Cause what I'd found is, um, a lot of people have enough problems with it that they desperately need to use freedom. Um, I don't rely on research enough that I go off on that tangent very often. It's yeah. not, it's not a real weakness for me. For me, I, you know, I've, I've written enough books at this point that I know kind of what my triggers are in my weak areas and I can assess and be like, you know what, you got distracted on, you know, whatever news sites this week, or you got, you know, to paying attention on Twitter or reading articles when you shouldn't have been. And so, um, for me, it's just easier to click that button off and, you know, do my research in advance, have the next two, three chapters, basic outline, what's the tension, what's the objective of the protagonist, how are we moving the story forward? Is it, uh, you know, a, 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 a conflict chapter where we're actually trying to resolve the problem and, or is it a reset chapter where we're trying to figure out what's going on next? Like, where are we at in the story and what happens next? And so I'll spend 20 minutes working that out for two, three chapters, and then I'll write for 20 minutes to an hour. Um, and if I can just avoid getting on the internet and my, my computer and the ideas are flowing relatively easily, you know, 6,000 words by noon is not particularly difficult. Sometimes I goof off more than I should. And, you know, that's a, a weakness of all authors, I think. I was going to say, we all do it. Yeah, don't feel bad. <laughs> Yeah. That, did you see that meme where it talked about how, you know, nowadays with all the great TV and all the stuff to do on the internet, it's like amazing that anybody writes anything. We should be graded on that curve versus uh, um, Charles Dickens, who, what, what else did he have to do? Like, ten- <laughs> <laughs> there were no distractions for Charles Dickens. Stare out his garden gate. Like, what, what a loser. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so you're are, like, when, when you're at noon, like around noon, when you get all this work, like, are you done for the day or do you like have time to do admin work or editing or like anything else like that? Or a lot of times I'll do the admin work between sprints. I don't do editing until I'm done with the first draft. Okay. So, and then I'll just, I'm not working on anything else. I will edit for about a week to turn it into a second draft. Um, right now I'm editing a co-authored book that, uh, we wrote, uh, three four years ago that i was slowly putting these out because it involves my co-author did the first drafts and her style is just dramatically different from mine and so it's a full rewrite when i dig in and so those are like two to three weeks of just my least favorite part of the job 
But uh, to answer your question about schedule, no, I mean, I'll do some admin tasks here and there if they're light, but um, when noon or one o'clock comes around, it's usually, usually noon and I'll try and go for a walk. Um, or I might go earlier in the day, depending on how hot it is. Um, and then I get back and like, I will go on to like working out or working on admin, I guess some, or I read every day. I, I try and I was gonna ask about that. Pages. Yeah. yeah. Um, of non nonfiction most of the time. I do read some fiction usually when I'm on vacation because it melds with what I'm writing. If I'm reading fiction while I'm writing it um, and, and in ways I don't really want. So, uh, and then uh, working out so that I can try and avoid and like stave off a heart attack for the amount of time that I actually still sit in a chair in spite of the treadmill desk because I do sit in the chair an awful lot of the time. Do, do you, do you have like, do you set pretty hard, like work hour boundaries or anything like that to kind of maintain a balance work life balance type of thing? Well, what I'd say is, um, I, I don't generally like work on a Friday night or a Saturday anymore. I yeah. did a lot when I first started, like there was one December, I wrote a 180,000 word book in the month of December when we had family visiting and everything else. I just locked myself in the bedroom and I was writing like 10,000 words a day. Um, and I cranked out, yeah, I think it ended up being 180,000 words when it was all said. Um, and you know, I used to do that stuff when my kids were young, but now that they're older, like we've got activities, I, you know, I like spending time with them. Um, I will, if I get edits back and I don't want to deal with them in the Monday through Friday block, cause I'm working with something else, I'll review edits from my editor in an hour. So maybe two tops. So yeah, I'll do that on a Saturday morning um, when normally I would be enjoying myself or on a Friday night or something like that, just to get them out of the way and move them onto the next link in the chain. But, um, and, and, you know, other stuff that will blow up, like I'll check Facebook and whatnot um, to make sure people aren't making mean comments on my ads that might be dissuading people from, yeah. from buying books. But like, I don't do what I used to do, which is like, oh, it's Saturday. I got to put in a full day of work today. Sunday. Oh, yeah. Double double credit now. Let's really dig in and figure out what's going on with the plot. Like, no, I, I need more recharge time to yeah. refresh. And I need more time with my family than I used to because my kids are old enough that they do actually notice when I'm, you know, gone. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I know for me, like, and I think you're the same way. I mean, I love writing. I love what I do. But I... I, part of why I got into doing this full time was not just so I could work all the time. Like yeah. it was so I could own my time. And so I could do other things with my day and, you know, only work like four hours a day, but still like I feel, but like when I say that, that's like work four yeah. solid hours, you know, yeah. and feel like I accomplished a lot, but still be able to go do other things, take care of myself, be with my family, you know, all that good stuff. So I'm, I'm with you. I get it. Well, no. And the other side of that too is I don't necessarily think that if the times when I wrote for 12 hours a day for a month straight, like there was a real passion for it in me. I had a story that had, you know, been with me for a good long time. Like there was a lot of excitement to it. Um, I'm probably a little less, I guess, passionate about it at this point, or maybe I'm just jaded, <laughs> but there's, I lean more on technique nowadays. Um, like I'll get an inspiration, but a lot of times it's very similar to something I've done in the past. Like my brain thinks in ruts. It's like, okay, 
how about this idea again, but kind of reskinned and like this. And I'm like, no, that's not, I've done that. Um, and so I have to kind of take it in a completely different direction. I have to find a fresh perspective and I have to go somewhere completely different with it. Um, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I have to look it up. Yeah, I'm at 93 books at this point. And so there's a lot of stuff that I have done and a lot of the low hanging fruit inspired stories, I guess you could say, the ones that really sprung out, the ones, you know, like George R. R. Martin, the original trilogy, I think that probably came to him relatively quickly because it was so inspired. And once you get past that initial inspiration, unless you're putting in a lot of recharge time to work on it and just letting your brain go in those directions, uh, you're going to work harder on the later stories because they're the ones you have to spend more time developing in order yeah. to make sure that they're completely different from what you've done in the past. Um, or at least that's my experience. Uh, as I get longer into a series or even as I get longer into my career as a writer, I'm less able to just sit down and blast out. You know, I used to write 10,000 words a day and it wasn't particularly difficult because that was 40 books ago or something like that. And so it was, um, it was just, it was just my opinion, low hanging fruit and much more um, passion for the process or sorry, more passion for the story in a way, because it didn't have to be excavated as deep as I have to do it nowadays. Is I that get right? that where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that to that totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and I, it's funny, like, uh, you know, for me, I've, I've, I've accepted that I'm like a 2000, 2500 day award writer. Like I, like the idea of doing like 6,000 words a day, I think the most I've ever done in one day was like 4,500 mm -hmm. and I was spent. I mean, I was absolutely yeah. exhausted. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know? I, like I said, I used to do 10,000 a day. I don't anymore. I mean, yeah. I'll do it when I'm finishing a book or something and I'll be like, Oh, I hit 12,000. That's amazing. That's rare. Um, just because, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I'm sure there are authors out there that are like, I'm still as passionate about this uh, 30 years into it as I was on day one. I, I'm not. Uh, it's not that I hate what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing a lot of the time. But I mean, the job aspects of it are job aspects. It's not just sitting around being creative 100% of the time. If that's what it was, I would probably still be close to as energetic about it as I was then. But I mean, it is a business as an indie author, especially. And yeah. And we focus a lot on the business aspects of it. Um, and so it's just this idea that like after 10, 11 years, I'm just going to be in 90 books. I'm going to be just as fired up about it. Yeah, if I was writing one book a year, maybe. Um, but uh, it's a lot of work and I don't want to sugarcoat it for people. It's still, I'm like, I would never want to do anything else. But Absolutely. Um, yeah. But if you paid me like, you're like, oh, Mr. Crane, hundred million dollars tomorrow. And you, you know, what are you going to do now? You have all the freedom of time in the world. Will you still write your books? Yeah, I will probably at a slower pace. Yeah. Um, but I've always said that, uh, writing is easy and fun. Writing a book, like coherently putting it together, not just playing around in the sandbox with story ideas. That's actually, a, that's a lot of work. Like just dinking around with a story is, is kind of enjoyable. Like it's something I used to do for fun. I still do that for fun sometimes. Less of it though, because it's it's been monetized in my life. I, I think the distinguisher here is that business versus 
like just writing for fun because I'm the same way. Like if someone gave me a whole bunch of money tomorrow, I would still want to write, but I probably would, I'd write slower like you. And I also would write different things. Like I love what I write. I love post apoc, but like there's other stories I want to tell, even in that genre that are too risky and too, and too off brand for me to do. And because that's my business hat, it's like, you know, this is my, this is what I depend on for my income. And I need to like really serve this reader and I still have fun doing it. Yeah. But I also think you're like me and you can correct me if I'm wrong where, um, cause I don't want to put words in your mouth, but where I'm very artistic in the moment when I'm working on a project, mm-hmm. but once I'm done with that project, it's a product and yeah. it's kind of out of my mind. And I, I, I feel like it's always been some people who are very artistic or they're early writers and they're not really don't have the business hat, have a really hard time understanding that. Cause they're like, that's yeah. but you spend all this time writing this book and that's your baby and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but like, you kind of have to just make it a product at that point. And it doesn't mean I didn't put again in the moment when I'm working on it, I'm very artistic and I'm very focused on creating and my technique and my storytelling and stuff. But then once it's gone, I'm on to the next thing. And it's like, that's where all my creative energy and my passion goes. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the, the, there are a lot of people that don't, I don't think ever really respect the business part of it. And, and some of them produce incredible work, but yeah. somebody has got to bring that to the consumer so that it can be enjoyed and experienced. And just naturally by choosing to go indie, I think we're more in the camp of the business oriented writer. Um, and, and, you know, some not bad company uh, along the way there. You know, John Grisham, he originally self-published, decided to bring his own work to market. Uh, I hear Agatha Christie was, you know, as happy to talk about publishing in the business as she was to talk about the technique of writing. So, um, but it definitely affects us. Like I'm, you, you and I both know, we've met some artistic types who we just don't quite get along with as well as we get along with people who are more on the foot in both worlds. Like we can talk about the artistic stuff and I'm perfectly happy to, but um, I have a harder time conversing with people who don't view it as a business at all, because it's just, they lack a certain grounding that I, um, I think probably colors everything I do in this, in this business. Cause it is a business to me. And, so. and, and it's like, I, and I've said this in this podcast several times and on a, a lot publicly, like when and people don't want to hear this, but like when it, when you are dependent on this for your income, it changes your relationship with it. Like it's, it's one thing to write when for fun or like, you know, as a side hustle, when you have a really good day job, whatever, but when you're dependent on it, it does change your relationship with it. And you can call it jaded. You can call it like, Oh yeah. Whatever, you know, it's, it's hard. It is hard to keep up that same, like enthusiasm all the time. So like, and I can give you an example of this actually, because the business has changed in the last six years. Like I had a really amazing uh, success pretty much uh, almost out of the gate and within the first year or two and, and things have been on a somewhat steady decline since then. 2014 was one of my best years ever. And I wrote three girl in the box books. I wrote three books in my sanctuary series. And I wrote three books in a new Southern watch series that I was launching at that point. And I felt really creatively refreshed because each one was like writing something completely different, completely new. Um, whereas I did the, 
the kind of look back at the end of last year and I had written 12 books in the last two years or wrote and or, and or edited 11 of them were girl in the box and one of them was a liars of vampires book that I was again co-authored strenuous rewrite process um, in order to put out on my own name I'm like wow uh I didn't feel creatively refreshed. Um, the girl in the box books, when I first started out, the first book was like 55,000 words. The second was like 75,000 words. The ones in the last couple of years were getting up to like 110,000 words, 120,000 words. The low end, they were like 90,000. And I told my wife, uh, who is very involved in the management of the business, I said, I've got to do some things different this next year in order to creatively refresh. Because I was, uh, you know, after book 42, I was like, okay, uh, this is just... I've got to do some things different here, figure things out um, in order to make sure that I can make these as good as I can possibly make them rather than feel like I'm just running in order from one book to the next um, raggedly, like enjoying myself for the most part, but like looking back and going, I don't have time to write anything else like at all. And so we decided to change it up in a set of five to six of those books a year that were 100,000, 120,000 words. The last two of them have been 70,000 and 65,000 words. And I'm only going to do four this year. And I'm going to try and write a new thriller series to kind of do something a little different that, you know, has a potential for future success. But it's only going to be probably 60 to 70,000 words too. I'm just, uh, I'm changing it up so that I can write a book in a little bit shorter period of time because, the, sh the sh you know, making it a decent sized novel, it doesn't need to be, you know, 800 pages long anymore. I've written yeah. books that are up 1200 pages before and creatively they're exhausting. Yep. And so looking at it from that perspective, we made the decision. I'm like, I think we're going to need to take a step back in the business department. And in order to take a creative step forward and do something different, in addition to a making girl in the box, the next four as creatively interesting as I can. And I think for the last two, certainly, I've felt really creatively refreshed and some of the best that I've done. But I was also able to finish the 11th Sanctuary book that's been waiting out there for two years. And then I'm working on this Liars and Vampires book eight. I don't know why. I... <laughs> oh, my goodness. The editing, the editing is just murderous on me. But I, I, I recently oh, changed my editing process because I'm the same way. I started, um, I started edit, I started. I now start my day editing what I wrote the day before nice. so that I'm in the story the whole time. Mm -hmm. And with this last book I did, my experiment was I'm going to do that. And then when I get to the end, I'm just going to send it to my editor. Like nice. I'm not going to go back and do another pass. And I did that. Didn't tell her what I did. And she actually thought I edited the book more when I actually did less. And I was like, that's oh, that's exactly what I want to hear. So um, that's not a bad idea. I I should consider doing that actually. I'll tell you uh, more about exactly what I do because it's it, it has made the editing process way more enjoyable for me. Well, and I don't mind editing myself. It's that I'm editing. I know other people. I know you don't like as much. Yeah. No, I'm, my co-author is a wonderful person, and I would say this to her, to her, and I have told her this. I'm like, you have a great style. It's not my style, and I feel like if it's got my name as the dominant one on the cover, it needs to be in my style, like yep. that snarky, um, you know, uh. Um, she's very straightforward. She's very serious. She's like one plot point to the next. And I'm much more detour for like five minutes to make a, a joke. And in order to serve my readers, that's a lot of rewriting is the short way to say that. And it, yeah. And it's, you have your own style. Like I'm JD will tell the story, you know, um, 
uh, you know, I don't know if you know about this, but JD wrote an, an, an official in Canon prequel to Dracula with Bram Stoker's great grandnephew. What? Yeah. It's called Dracul. He wrote it with uh, Dacre Stoker. Wow. And, and to do that, he, he like, he was able to study uh, Bram Stoker's original notes from Dracula. He listened to the book on audio on repeat while he was doing it. He wow. learned to write like Bram Stoker to hmm. do that book. And like, and it's, but that's a difficult thing. And JD's also crazy. So wow. yeah, <laughs> you know? that's a project. I don't think I would want to tackle. I think he's done a similar thing when he writes with James Patterson. Like, I think he's, uh, you know, he's co-authored. I think they just released their fourth, third or fourth book together. And wow. um, which hopefully by the time this is out, I'm hoping it's number one on the New York Times list. But um, for him, because he's hit two, but he hasn't hit one. Oh, um, so. But uh, he, he's but he's worried that uh, where the crawdaddies sing is going to be number one because that book is back up now because of the movie that's coming out. So he's but um, but anyways, I did, before we get out of here, um, I did want to ask you, you know, talk briefly um because you mentioned it a few times now uh like this is a family business so your your household i mean your wife works in this business with you which i think is uh horrifying on one end because i don't i don't know <laughs> if i could do that i know that i know some people who'd be feel the same way but um but it really works for you guys and you guys have really um it's it's pretty like do you, you want to talk a little bit about that relationship and kind of what she does for the business and stuff yeah, yeah. Um, she's actually downstairs. I can hear her through the door. Hopefully you can't. Uh, but she's on a call with Amazon right now, in fact. So she handles a lot of the business side of things. Um, she does all the ad targeting and ads and whatnot across Facebook, Amazon, AMS, AMD, all that fun stuff, um, which I am thankful for because that is the most miserable sounding part of the job that I can imagine. That is the part of the job nowadays where you've got to be an expert in SEO, search engine optimization or whatever they call it, that makes me want to take a tack hammer to the side of my head and just empty it all out so I can be free from those horrible, horrible thinking, you know, having to think about any of that crap. Um, <laughs> I have friends who've written dozens of novels and they you know once they get into seo and ad optimization it's like they are effectively done being authors at that yeah. point they they'll write like one book every two or three years and they make incredible scads of money from their backlist at that point or by helping other people optimize but uh it's it's life draining soul draining work and so i mean i'm thankful that she has taken up that mantle and got pretty good at it um, but she does that. She does really, that's the main thing. Um, I do um, a lot of the other admin stuff. She does the tax work. I shouldn't, how do I forget that? She does all of the taxes so that we don't have to go through a professional. And, and so that's been a huge help. Um, she was working for a corporation back in 2014 or so, and they were trying to shuffle her into a position that was not something that, that she wanted to do. And so fortunately I was doing well enough at that point that she's like able to tell them to basically stick it. And I was worried. <laughs> yeah. That was like oh your biggest God. year up to that point, I think. Right. Yeah, it was. Um, it was huge. And, and it was at the right time too, because if she'd had to continue doing that, that work and take what they were offering, I mean, I don't know 
I don't know where she'd be at right now. It was um, it was really unpleasant offer that they had made. Um, and she'd been with the company for like 17 years at that point. And so we were kind of, I'm like, hey, you know, I could use some help at home. I'm going to have to hire an assistant or something. I've got all this stuff going on. This is before ads were even a thing. But, um, and she's like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll give this a try. And so we were a little worried at first. I'm like, I might have to rent an office space outside the house because I don't know what it's going to be like to have you home all day. But as it turns out, I actually really love the person I married. And so having her home all day, <laughs> really nice. Um, and so that's been pretty fantastic in, in general. And it's allowed us the freedom to, um, you know, vacation at the same times and go where, you know, where we want to go and not have bosses to answer to and whatnot and be flexible in pretty much the same way. So, um, it's been, it's been pretty great. That's awesome. Do you see any, uh, well, I guess I should ask like, uh, cause I know you have a couple kids who are a little bit older, like, uh, are any of your kids involved in any way yet in the business or do you foresee them having any sort of role? Like obviously if they wanted to, <laughs> my oldest is in the, has read all of my sanctuary books and has read girl in the box one through 13. And we were talking about it the other day and he goes, yeah, you know, I've, I, I've got to, I got to finish it now. I'll go all the way to 50. I'm like, good grief boy. Okay. Um, but we were talking about it cause my, the middle child is, much more artistic and had talked about, Oh, I think I would like to be an author and has actually written like a few smaller, you know, kid style books. This was an 11 year old. So we're not expecting, you know, great novels or anything. Um, but my oldest also was like, you know, I could see myself being an author. The mommy says it is getting more difficult these days. She could probably help me with the ad stuff. Like, <laughs> fair enough. Do my taxes. <laughs> You better pay her for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, man, this has been an awesome conversation. Like, uh, you know, we'll, we definitely mean you need to get together and have lunch soon with Carlos. But, uh, yeah. but uh, tell people where they can best place find you on the internet, whatever, whatever you want to promote. You got Girl in the Box 50 coming out. Tell, tell I do. I would recommend starting with book one if anyone wants to read that, though. Um, I was going to start with book 37, but... That is actually a really good one. I can't fault you for that. It's uh, it's. I don't know how you even remember. Like, if somebody asks me something that happens in like book four of my Empty Body series, yeah. I'm like, dude, that was like six years ago. I can't. I can't even. What's funny is that my my 13 year old the other day was asking me about one of them. He's like, such and such is book. 14, right? And I just rattled them off like every one, That's one after so another. Funny. I can't uh, do that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, you can find me at www.robertjcrane.com. The J is important. Um, and then I don't know, I'm not on Facebook or Twitter very much because Facebook <laughs> repeatedly banned me for idiotic, stupid meme stuff and COVID disinformation for sharing a, uh, a Jeffrey Dahmer. No one's going to tell me how many people I can have for Thanksgiving meme. Um, so uh, you might just, I bet now I'm going to get the COVID-19 tag on Spotify they've put on. <laughs> it's funny because I was like, I didn't say anything about COVID. I just, I, it was a stupid meme. Yeah. Um, and then, then there was another one where I got hit with a threat of violence for, because one of my fans, I quoted a line from Kill Bill to him and I got dinged for that too. So I'm like, you know what? I'm uh, I, I clearly cannot have a personality on this platform. Yeah. So I'm just going to decamp to mighty networks and I'll come back and announce when a book comes out and nothing else. Right on. 
Yeah. Well, dude, I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and spend some time with me and, uh, it was a good conversation. So, and I will, uh, yeah, we'll get together again soon. It's always a joy spending time with you, Zach. Oh, thank you, brother. I'll talk to you soon, man. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Creator Dad Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, hit that subscribe button on your podcast app and consider leaving a review on the show while you're there. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to tell another creative friend about it. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.